girl with the fro, round the outside, round the outside, round the outside, girl with the fro, round the outside, round the outside, round the outside, girl with the fro, back, back again, ten fro's back, tell a friend, guess who's back, 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 for whatever you think, of Eminem or that whole gangster rap movement, you have to believe that the ba- that driving baseline will make you get your bop on. And I am so old and flicted and offbeat, but me enjoying making that the introduction to my podcast is what I actually get to do. So, welcome to this episode of Tennessee Fro is Reading. Hi, I'm your host, Felicia Baxter. I hope you will enjoy and get your bop on just as much as I have been doing with um, the baseline of Without Me from Eminem um, with my own crazy lyrics. Um, in this episode, I will actually, besides getting my bop on, I will be um, just talking about the great loss of the last week of the obituaries of note from the literary world um some additions to my chatter books and uh a libra's coupon code to save you off on your um addition as you add to your own personal book hoard um i'll be doing a full reading of barack obama's a promised land just the preface and just my um thoughts on the book itself it is a playbook of hope and I'll leave it at that. And as always, thank you for joining me. And now, let's get our bop on. I knew even as I basically um, or elucidated and itemized how I was going my new podcasting schedule last week um, that I wasn't going to be able to keep up with it. Um, Things popped off and then I decided to not follow any of it. I came up with um, an escape and I'm doing this broadcast from the very windy shores of the Alabama Gulf Coast um, as we speak. This is my last day here. It's been very restful. It's been very rejuvenating. I'm a little bit ashy because it's pretty much, except for today, because it's so wet and and balmy, but it's still, I still feel like I'm in paradise. Um, I did everything I was going to do this that I said I was going to do. Drink coffee, read book, binge watch TVs, and just uh, get let the wind um, blow out the cobwebs of my mind. Um, I've been able to do a little bit of writing, um, actually a lot of writing, more so than I've been doing in the past few months. Um, I've been able to get a better, uh, more positive perspective over the events of Wednesday. Sometimes things have to be blown apart 
so you can figure out what is the most important and worth salvaging and rebuilding. And I think that's what how I'm going to look at those events. Um, but in order to get back onto some type of podcasting schedule, also that's, I've also had a unique perspective on that. I'm glad I don't have a sponsor, so I'm not really limited or inhibited by the demands of having to publish because I'm doing it for free and I'm doing it as a means, um, of creativity, but also a means to entertain myself. So I only have to please myself. Um, it gives me a lot of, um, a unique perspective, but it also gives me a lot of freedom. And for that, I'm grateful. Um, one of the things that I actually usually get, and I had to put on pause because I wasn't there to accept the papers. I put on pause the Times Free Press, and I'm still wondering if it's going to be of benefit to me to continue to get that paper. I don't know. Um, if I'm going to participate in local elections, et cetera, that's the only reason why I'm going to continue to um, subscribe to that paper. But I'm going to lean more heavily on the L.A. Times, the New York Times and the Washington Post to get uh, my or even the London Times. I actually did subscribe to that once. I get the electronic version of that. Um, I'm very interested in finding out from a unique perspective just how the world sees us. And I think I absolutely did this time see a dolphin surface outside. That's crazy. Is that a dolphin? What? He must have lost his way, but I do see him. I think the next um, thing I'm going to actually buy from Amazon is binoculars because that's just wild and it's kind of close to the coast, but there you go. But anyways, I digress. Um, let's see. In the news this past week. Um, Eric Jerome Dickey, a best-selling novelist, he passed away at 59. And I don't know if it was what was secondary to was a complication. Oh, crap. Yeah, he was um, hit a long and heroic battle against cancer. He lived in L.A., um, he was actually a software uh, writer. Then he went on to become and gain notoriety for his saucy, sexy, and savvy formulas uh, that landed his novels on the bestseller list. One of the most successful black authors of our time. Um, he passed away. I think I've read both his books. Um, Sister, Sister was one of the first books of his that I actually read. And he leaves behind. I didn't know he had this many. He had like four daughters. Um, he 
the son of Mr. Suleiman is pu published in April. I don't think I actually have that one. I'm going to have to add that and the rest of his books um, to Chatter Books. But that was his most recently um, published novel. Um, and it's it's uh, very sad to just acknowledge and just to know that we've lost so many great uh, creatives um, this past year from Chadwick Boseman and now um, to Mr. Eric Jerome Dickey. Um, the rest of us can only aspire um, to their level of talent um, and he will be missed. Didn't know him, but I did love his books. I'm gonna be adding to my LGBTQ uh, section, um, this book called The Prophets, the uh, uh, debut novel from Robert Jones Jr. Um, it's a love story uh, between two black male slaves. Um, it's basically set um, in an antebellum plantation in Mississippi. So this should be very, very interesting um, addition. And I may just have to read that myself. And I'll be able to use my $20 off from a Libris. Um, if I can't add it to my um, chatter books, I'll actually be able to use that um, to not only get that book, but a couple of other books, I'm sure. As well as, I'm very happy that Simon and Schuster had the guts to basically cancel uh, Senator Hawley's book um, about the tyranny of big tech. Um, this is right along the lines of um, does Facebook, Google, and Instagram and uh, Twitter have so much power? Yeah, they do because they basically finally after letting y'all run amok for four years, uh, finally silence the wannabe tyrant. Um, and do I want to read or have another My Conf on the bookshelves? No, nah, really don't. I'm sure some other conservative press will gladly publish this book, but I don't, but, and how you censure someone or you punish them uh, for doing dumb shit, this is how you do it. You hit him right in the pockets. I'm sure he had a lucrative seven-figure deal with them that all was imploded. And I'm wondering, because they canceled it, he may, may not have, might not have to give back some probably big advance. But what I think his and his uh, uh, compatriots' actions are going to be resound for generations, for at least several years, that by your willingness to participate in some nonsense, you forfeit your right to represent the people. So you need to go away. Not only are you going to lose lucrative book deals, you may actually have to resign because you have failed to do your freaking job. And that's how that goes. Sorry, not really all that sorry. Um, you took a gamble and you gambled wrong and you're going to lose big. Sorry, bro. That's just the way it goes. So welcome to this segment of the episode. <clears throat> I wanted to make sure that I captured the restless beauty that is the Gulf Shores. I came down here on Thursday 
as a means to just escape. Um, when I booked this vacation um, down, I believe through Home to Go or one of the other stay-at-home vacation or home vacation places, Vacasa, I'm not sure. The nonsense that precluded my Wednesday, um, <laughs> last Wednesday, seems like it was so far away and it was actually only like five days uh, from today that when we had a whole bunch of white supremacists um, storm the Capitol. And the entire week I had a lot of difficulty um, just creating or getting in the mood to create. <clears throat> but one of the things that I've found that tripped me out was just how sensitive the um, recording or the microphone on iPhone 12s are, the quality of the video. Um, I recorded Sunrise the next day when I first got here and it definitely picked up my heavy breathing because of my fat butt roll downstairs but this also inspired me to record or have as a background the Gulf of Mexico I don't know if too many people that I don't know if you don't have the means or you have the desire um, to drive down to the Gulf of Mexico but this I'm hopeful will encourage most people that if we have to shelter in place, and it looks like it's gonna be extended pretty much through the summer, this is not a bad place to. I have not, um, did not take the opportunity to walk along the shore um, to collect shells. Um, the only one day where it was clear enough and warm enough, I really didn't feel like doing it. I just binge watched stuff all day long, but I thought this would serve as an amazing background. It's raining. It's um, a bit cold, and this is the shot in the arm that I want to use in the backdrop that I want to basically um, use as this segment. This video will be posted on my YouTube channel, Dale's Angels Inc., as well as in the podcast notes in its entirety um, once I complete this. Um, and in particular, this section is by, is dedicated to, I'm reading A Promised Land, getting really back to why I created the podcast and the words of hope uh, from uh, President um, Barack Obama. I um, am hopeful now, and I'm glad I got the I basically shut off um, the so-called news um, channels. I have not watched the news since I left. I get like highlights. I think my way forward is basically just going to be reading the newspaper, only focusing in on those um, stories that I think of as news from an international standpoint or even from a local and, in, and um, national standpoint. 
I think we can be informed without um, uh, getting trapped or reeled in by the salacious um, headlines that seem to be flooding um, all of the news channels. I can think we can be informed without being perverted or contorted um, by a lot of the negativity um, that dominates the news cycle. I can't be with the BS anymore. I'm tired of the negativity. Um, and I think that's how, when you basically are in, you use solitude as a reset, you can actually create positive things and look at things more positively. And it gives you the strength to be able to read um, and to lose yourself in great books. And in this section, I'm encouraged that for a variety of things. Um, one of the things that encourages me is quite simply um, to read is because it is obvious that not only is President Obama a great reader, but he actually truly understands what he reads. Um, and he tries and has been very successful in applying it to his daily life. And what I, you may be, you may think that his first volume, which is over 700 pages, is a, is a bit wordy, but I don't think it could be anything less than 700 and uh, probably, I think his second volume is probably gonna be just as long. I don't think he could have told the story in less than 1800 pages or 1400 pages. And I'm wondering if there is a third volume out there. I suspect that there is because I don't think even his front seat on history and everything that he did leading up to his presidency, I don't think he's finished yet. And that's why I'm hopeful and I'm looking forward to the second volume, but I need to get through the first one because unlike um, uh, First Lady Michelle Obama's book, um, I kind of glossed through, I'm gonna have to reread that again in all honesty. I'm gonna have to, I glossed through her perspective on the, um, while they, she was in the White House and the afterwards of it all. But I lost, because I thought, I had already lived through it. I didn't really need to read it or be, um, read it all that closely, but I think I did. I honestly think and believe I should have. Um, again, her perspective is so unique in the fact that the events that we live through, she has a different perspective and it's kind of interesting to find out what, how she felt about it in her own words. So that's why I'm thinking I'm gonna to have to reread the second half of her book again because I know I missed something. Because uh, President Obama's book already starts out with his unique perspective on events as they presented themselves during his presidency, right after his presidency, and even the afterwards, which I'm gonna read next. 
is um it was written it sounds like it was written um and placed in a book last summer um and how things have changed and it still rings true even january of 2021 so this is the preface and i'm going to read um some of my thoughts because i've only gotten through um the first uh chapter called the bet so this is the preface of a promised land by president barack obama i began writing this book shortly after the end of my presidency after michelle and i boarded air force one for the last time and traveled west for a long deferred break the mood on the plane was bittersweet both of us were drained physically and emotionally not only by the labors of the previous eight years but by the unexpected results of an election in which someone diametrically opposed to everything we stood for had been chosen as my successor. I mean, he could not have um, said it any better. <laughs> um, everyone knew, I think everyone was shocked. And, the, and again, the events over the last several years, last several days, everything he said he was gonna do, he did to the detriment of us all and along the lines of a two social path. But I digress. Still, having run our leg of the race to completion, we took satisfaction in knowing that we'd done our, be our very best. And that, however much I'd fallen short as a president, whatever projects I'd hoped but failed to accomplish, the country was in a better shape now than it had been when I'd started. For a month, Michelle and I slept late, ate leisurely dinners, went for long walks, swam in the ocean, took stock, replenished our friendship, rediscovered our love, and planned for a less eventful, but hopefully no less satisfying second act. And by the time I was ready to get back to work and sat down with pen and a yellow pad, I still like writing things out in longhand, finding that a computer gives even my roughest drafts too smooth a gloss and lends half-baked <laughs> half thoughts the mass of tidiness. I had a clear outline of the book in my head. First and foremost, I hope to give an honest rendering of my time in office, not just a historical record of key events that happened on my watch and important figures with whom I interacted, but also an account of some of the political, economic, and cultural cross-currents that helped determine the challenges of my administration. My administration faced the choices my team and I made in response. Where possible, I wanted to offer readers a sense of what it's like to be the President of the United States. I wanted to pull the curtain back a bit and remind people that for all its power and pomp, the presidency is still just a job, and our federal government is a human enterprise like any other, and the men and women who work in the White House experience the same daily mix of satisfaction, disappointment, office friction, screw-ups, and small triumphs as the rest of their fellow citizens. Finally, I wanted to tell a more personal story that might inspire young people considering a life of public service, how my career in politics really started, 
with a search for a place to fit in, a way to explain the different strands of my mixed, hair, mixed up heritage and how it was mine. Only by hitching my wagon to something larger than myself that I was ultimately able to locate a community and purpose for my life. I figured I could do all that in maybe 500 pages. I expected to be done in a year. It's fair to say that, that the writing process didn't go exactly as I planned. Despite my best intentions, the book kept growing in length and in scope. The reason why I eventually decided to break it into two volumes, I'm painfully aware that a more gifted writer could have found a way to tell the same story with greater brevity. After all, my home office in the White House sat next to the Lincoln bedroom where a signed copy of the 272-word Gettysburg Address rests beneath a glass case. But each time that I sat down to write, whether, whether it was to describe the early phases of my campaign or my administration handling of the financial crisis or negotiations with the Russians on nuclear arms control or the forces that led to the Arab Spring, I found my mind resisting a simple linear narrative. Often I felt obliged to provide context for the decisions I and others had made, and I didn't want to relegate that background to footnotes or endnotes. I hate footnotes and endnotes. I discovered that I couldn't always explain my motivations just by referencing reams of economic data or recalling an exhaustive Oval Office briefing for they've been shaped by a conversation I had with a stranger on the campaign trail, a visit to a military hospital, or a childhood lesson I've received earlier from my mother. Repeatedly, my memories would toss up seemingly incidental details, trying to find a discreet location to grab an evening smoke, my staff and I having a laugh while playing cards aboard Air Force One that captured in a way the public record never could. My lived experience during the eight years I spent in the White House. Beyond the struggle to put words on a page, what I didn't fully anticipate was the way events would unfold during the three and a half years after the last flight on Air Force One. As I sit here, the country remains in a grip of a global pandemic and the accompanying economic crisis with more than 178,000 Americans dead. That number I think is up to 300,000 now, so almost double. Six months probably after, not even six months after he wrote this. Businesses shuttered and millions of people out of work. Across the nation, people from all walks of life have poured into the streets to protest the deaths of unarmed black men and women at the hands of the police. Perhaps the most troubling of all, our democracy seems to be teetering on the brink of crisis. A crisis rooted in a fundamental contest between two opposing visions of what America is and what it should be. A crisis that has left the body politic divided, angry, mistrustful, and has allowed for an ongoing breach of institutional norms, procedural safeguards, and adherence to basic facts that both Republicans and Democrats 
once took for granted. This contest is not new, of course. In many ways, it has defined the American experience. It's embedded in founding documents that could simultaneously proclaim all men equal and yet count a slave as three-fifths of a man. It finds expression in our earliest core options, opinions, as when the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court bluntly explains to Native Americans that their tribe's rights to convey property aren't enforceable since the Court of Conquer has no capacity to recognize the just claims of the conquered. Wow. It's a contest that's been fought on the fields of Gettysburg and Appomattox, but also in the halls of Congress on a bridge in Selma, across the vineyards of California, and down the streets of New York. A contest fought by soldiers, but more often by union organizers, suffragists, Pullman porters, and student leaders, waves of immigrants and LGBTQ activists. Armed with nothing more than picket signs, pamphlets, or a pair of marching shoes. At the heart of this long running battle is a simple question. Do we care to match the reality of America to its ideals? If so, do we really believe that our notions of self-government and individual freedom, equality of opportunity and of equality before the law apply to everyone? Or are we instead committed in practice, if not in statute, to reserve those things for a privileged few? I recognize that there are those who believe that it's time to discard the myth that an examination of America's past and even a cursory glance at today's headlines show that this nation's ideas have always been secondary to conquest and subjugation. A, racy, a racial caste system and rapacious capitalism and that to pretend otherwise is to be complicit in a game that was rigged from the start. And I confess that there have been times during the course of writing this book as I've reflected on my presidency and all that's happened since, when I have asked myself whether I was too tempered in speaking the truth as I saw it. Too cautious in either word or deed convinced as I was that by appealing to what Lincoln called the better angels of our nature, I stood a greater chance of leading us in the direction of the America we've been promised. I don't know. What I can say for certain is that I'm not yet ready to abandon the possibility of America, not just for the sake of future generations of Americans, but for all humankind, for I'm convinced that the pandemic we're currently living through is both a manifestation and a mere interruption in the relentless march towards an interconnected world, one in which people and cultures can't help but collide. In that world of global supply chains, instantaneous capital transfers, social media, transnational terrorist networks, climate change, mass migration, and ever-increasing complexity we will learn to live together, cooperate with one another, and recognize the dignity of others, or we will perish. And so the world watches America, the only great power in the history made up of people from every corner of the planet, comprising every race, faith, and cultural practice, to see if our experiment in democracy can work, to see if we can do what no other nation has ever done, 
to see if we can actually live up to the meaning of our creed. The jury's still out. By the time this first volume is published, a U.S. election will have taken place. And while I believe the stakes could not be higher, I also know that no single election will settle the matter. If I remain hopeful, it's because I've learned to place my faith in my fellow citizens, especially those of the next generation, whose conviction in the equal worth of all people seems to come as second nature, and who insist on making real those principles that their parents and teacher told them were true, but perhaps never fully believed themselves. True that. More than anyone, this book is for those young people, an invitation to once again remake the world and to bring about through hard work, determination, and a big dose of imagination in America that finally aligns itself with all that is best in us. August 2020. So, book is over 700 pages. I think every time I need to reset or rethink some things, I got at my hands a guidebook of hope and possibilities from someone from leadership that I trust and has a unique perspective uh, about events and the goings on of the world. Can't tell me somebody raised by a white mother um, whose black father was not in his life, but he still had and was part, raised by white Midwestern grandparents in Hawaii, partially in Indonesia, that he is a citizen of the world. I look at the energy that the Paul Rands, the Mitch McConnells, um, all of them wasted. They could have utilized this this person instead of some ill-advised power grab um, because he truly an idealist and an alignment of what his job was and what they were supposed to be doing but they refused, they dug their heels in and stonewall and stonewall and stonewall and laid the, 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 um, the, the pathway for this orange fuel to rip it all down. He basically told y'all so. And y'all, and, and it's on their watch that this happened. But he does give me hope that we hold within our hands our unity is what is going to get us through this. We got to put all that aside. We got to keep can't get focused on all the time wasted and all the nonsense that's happened. We now got to look forward and to figure out what is the most important thing. So I look at what the but I can still keep reflecting back on the events of the last several days and how white fragility under the guise of deluded ideas of white supremacy converged and egg on by this fool and the ramblings of the horned king, rat king led us to an insurrection. Um, it sounds like when you try to take the high ground it basically allows these sneaky bastards um, to sneak underneath you and just wreck crap. But I'm hopeful that other people, myself included, 
Well, because we knew something was going to pop off. We had been warned. We didn't know if it was going to be this bad. But there's still hope. You know, I did not know that John Orsoff clerked for uh, Representative John Lewis and that Warnoff was his pastor. I had no idea. But I think these tiebreakers are going to be best suited to do what is necessary to get us back to the ideas. You know, um, coronavirus, um, what the orange-hued fool did not um, bust up, coronavirus has laid bare uh, what truly is important and what we really need to focus on, from education to the equitable sharing of wealth um, to our at-risk healthcare system. It has blown a lot of that things apart. And those are the things that, and our environment, those are the things that we're going to have to truly repair. And it's going to take a united front to basically look through all the damage of neglect and uh, uh, eroded infrastructure has done and what we can do to put those things that really are truly important. And I hope that makes sense. And that's what this book has also laid to bear. We could actually focus in on a lot of these um, inequities and we could focus in and be cognizant and all those things that never came to fruition or should come to fruition. But what do we have to do to write those? And what is it, what is it that's more important from deviating from focusing on the salacious news cycles to what um, I and the rest of the world, what is really important to the people of the world. That's what the next act is about. What is important and how we are all of us going to survive? And how can we all just enjoy the beauty that I'm enjoying? I'm sitting here in a chair on the Gulf Coast, just listening to the waves. I've never been so, I'm a little cold, my feet are cold, so I'm gonna have to close this door soon. But I still get to enjoy the beauty that is before me. And what do I, what is going, how am I going to be able to get this beauty to everyone else? continue to enjoy it without hurting the environment. That in itself is the question and what I'm going to be continue to focus on. Me as a citizen of the world and definitely a citizen of the United States, what am I going to have to do to preserve it? People that I would, ne would never trust or never thought I could trust. How are we gonna be able to work together for the closeness and the united to get us back to a true positive and goodness? And it's okay to have a not so eventful, drama-free life. That's what we should basically look at the beauty and the happiness and still be entertained and still be give us positivity when good does win and that's actually okay too 
So with that said, that's how I'm going to end this particular section of Tennessee Froze reading. Um, the beginning, the preface of the promised land is a promise of greater things to come. The first chapter, Abet, was a little bit more of his background in the run up to his, from his days of organizing um, into his first uh, run for political office. Um, interspersed with just a life because this person who seemed to come out of Nowheresville personifies an American and a citizen of the world. And that's what I think this book is such a guidebook and it's just so clear in the intent for promise and it's no brag, it's just fact. But, and, and while I'm reading it, I'm actually hearing his raspy, smoke-filled voice. It's kind of cool. Um, and I hope my reading of the preface will encourage not only uh, you hitting up Jeff Bezos or navigating to Chatterbooks, my um, online book site, to um, get the book yourself and to read it and see what your perspective is because I think you will enjoy it and it will actually give you refocus in positivity to get through the next several tr troubled days. So pick it up, Promised Land is good read. Um, I'm just beginning and I can't wait to get back to it and talk about it with you guys in the upcoming episodes. And that's how I'm going to end this episode of Tennessee Fro is reading with a little bit of hope and a little bit of flavor. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I intend to continue to be reading and summarizing or recapping um, A Promised Land in upcoming episodes in addition to talking and um, interacting with my friends as my head clears from the recent nonsense. Um, I invite you to navigate to alibris.com um, and utilize, please utilize um, my coupon codes. Either use paper um, because today when you enter in the paper, you get $20 off of an order of $140. Um, if you use the coupon code PENCIL, that's P-E-N-C-I-L, you could get $10 off of an order of $75 or more. Or you could take $3 or use the word PEN, P-E-N, and you can get $3 off of orders $25 or more. And it's really, really easy to blow up that, utilize that, and to spend that amount of money um, at um, on um, a Libras. How do I know? Because I've done it. Um, you can also use my promo code Tenfro is reading on Writer's Block Coffee to get a percentage off of your order, as well as Tenfro Got Tropes. Um, when you ship a bag of gummy penises or send a glitter bomb to anonymously to someone that really annoys you. And I hope, my hope is that anytime you listen to my podcast, you'll learn something you didn't know before you actually will 
just suspend your disbelief and just roll with the sister as I go on my next adventure. This has been very different um, than anywhere that I've actually published before. Um, the, the Gulf Coast is a place of beauty and of mystery. And thank you for joining me. And y'all have a great day. Stay warm, stay COVID free, and get your bop on like I will as soon as this starts playing. Just saying. Come on, let's do this. I'm just saying. Oh, no, I didn't mean to do that. It, it flipped over to the new side, y'all. <laughs> but anyways, y'all have a great day and great start to your week. Bye.